And uh, hello to everyone who's watching on the live stream as well. Sorry for not welcoming you earlier, myself. Um, I'm very aware that as we, as we now come to our, our third week uh, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and our third time of, of looking at, at the topic of giving, I'm very aware that, that for actually for different people at different spaces at different times, giving and generosity can, uh, we respond to that call in, in the gospel, in, in, um, in the Bible differently. Um, and so I just wanted to, to start out just by acknowledging that, that actually for different people at different times, what it looks like to give is always going to be different. It's always going to be different. And actually as a church, we want to acknowledge that. And that's why we have a hardship fund for people in the church to, to apply for. That's why we run our warm welcome on a Monday morning, because we want to be here for, for the community uh, at large. Different people uh, respond to this call of gen generosity differently at different points in their life. And we'll probably, I'll share a story of, of why that was true for me uh, as well during my sermon. Um, but now as we come to our third and final time in Corinthians 8 and 9, let's um, come in a posture of prayer. Dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we praise you that you are the speaking God. And we ask, Father God, that as we come to this, your, your word today, that you might powerfully speak into our minds and our hearts and draw us to yourself. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Last week, uh, Andrew helpfully showed us how one should administer and think about their, their giving in terms of integrity. How should we have integrity with our giving? And this, and this week, as we continue uh, working our way through chapter 9, the passage continues to help us think through, well, what should our attitude as a giver be? And it sort of states it quite clearly and simply in, in verse 7, if you look down with me. Each man and woman should give what they have decided in their hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerfulness should be the attitude of the Christian giver. Because there's actually, there's a logic to Christian giving. And the logic to Christian giving sort of is the same logic that applies to, to a farmer. It is that logic that uh, that farmer who sows a little will reap a little. While that farmer who sows a lot will reap a lot. That is the logic of Christian giving. You reap what you sow. And yet God wants us to be Christian givers who only give cheerfully. Cheerfully, so not out of guilt, but out of joy. A joy at the opportunity uh, to give. A joy of uh, needs uh, being met. A joy for response to what we ourselves have been given. We are to be cheerful givers. We be cheerful givers who individually decide in our own hearts what is actually right to give in that moment with our finances in our space and time what we've what the lord has given us in that time whether it be little whether it be much we individually decide what is right to give god loves a cheerful giver so cheerfulness should be our attitude but also god blesses a cheerful giver and we see this in verses uh, 8 to 11. Look down with me at verse, uh, verse 8. And God is able 
to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God is able. He is the one who who provided that seed for the sower, for the farmer, and he is the one who provides bread that we can have on our tables so that we can eat and our our bellies can be full. He is the one who, who provides the air which we breathe, the hearts which pump blood around our body. God is able, and God is able to bless. He is able to bless those who give cheerfully, so that those who scatter their gifts to the poor will be blessed in all things and at all times. Does this mean, then, that we Christians should sort of be expecting to be living in the Ritz if God's going to be blessing us in all things and in all times? Does the cheerful giver get to live in the Ritz? No. (laughs) No. Because even though it is a blessing in all things at all times, it also concludes having all that you need. Having all that you need. That image there of having all that you need then is not an image of, of greed, It's an image of sufficiency. It's an image of sufficiency. But also, there is a purpose to Christian giving, a glorious purpose to this act of giving, that as we give, we are able to achieve a good work. That as we give and as we are blessed for doing that giving, with what we have been given, we are able to achieve a good work. We are able to, to scatter that seed far so it can produce a mighty harvest. Look down at me, with me please, at verse 11. Verse 11. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God blesses a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver, he blesses a cheerful giver, and he also uses a cheerful giver. There's a purpose for why God blesses those who cheerfully give. He uses them. Because the result of people's cheerful giving, of people's cheerful generosity, is actually that people will praise God. See, the Christian understanding of giving, it has two purposes. There is one, the undeniable purpose, that in Christian giving you are, you are meeting a physical like, need. That is one of the purposes. But the other purpose of Christian giving is that also, that as you give, the person who you give to will see in you a heart that is changed. A heart that does not want to simply cling to the material things that we have, but is willing to give them away. They will see in you that individual who is confessing their belief in Jesus Christ as Lord. And they will see that. And because they will see that, they will praise the one who is above. Look down with me at verse 13. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. 
and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. God loves a cheerful giver. God blesses a cheerful giver. God uses a cheerful giver so that many might praise him. I, uh, tr- tragically, and it's a uh, very sad and, and long story, uh, but our, m- myself and my, my family have a difficult relationship with our older brother. Um, very strained and tense relationship. And it made it all the worse and all the harder when he decided to move to Japan <laughs> in 2013. Um, but I, I strongly believe uh, that, that as a Christian I wanted to be a bridge builder. And so I wanted to go and visit him. And uh, it had taken a few sort of years for this, 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 this desire to become very urgent in my own head and in my own heart. A few years of not much communication from him. Um, but at the time, 2015, when I wanted to go and visit him, I was working uh, in Edinburgh and I had a job that I loved. But it, fair to say, it wasn't a job that paid particularly well. Um, it was sort of a job where I earned and then I spent and I didn't really have any savings. And for those who have done any international travel, you'll, you'll know that if you want to fly to Japan, it's, it's not something you can just spend a tenner on. And I remember thinking, I just don't know how I'm going to do this. I, I feel I really want to be a bridge builder to my brother. I really want to see him after a few years. And I don't know how I'm going to be able to, to do that. And I look back at that time and I can't remember, I can't remember telling anyone that I was worried about the money side of it. I can't remember doing that. I might have done, but I can't remember it. But I do remember asking people to pray that I wanted to go and see him and that door uh, would be opened. And during that time, my friends, Andy and Naomi Baxter, they sent me a letter. And they said, we have, um, we've just inherited some money. And we know that you really want to go and see your older brother. And so here's a check for £600. Now, at the time when I received that, I was overwhelmingly like, filled with gratitude towards them. Because it actually enabled me to, to buy a flight to Japan, a return flight to Japan. And I was overwhelmed with gratitude towards them. But also I was overwhelmed with gratitude, and I still am overwhelmed with gratitude, to, towards the Lord. Because actually Andy worked in the same job that I worked for, for in a different city. Like He wasn't rolling around in, in the money. There's lots of good things he could have used that money for. Perfectly right and just things for him to use that money for. And yet, they gave it to me so I could see my brother and be a bridge builder to him. Like, because that they were willing to be a cheerful giver, I am thankful for them. But I'm just so thankful for the Lord, for how he's like, changed their hearts to be that generous as well. God uses cheerful God uses cheerful giving. Now, I do realize that as we look at 2 Corinthians 9, there is sort of an elephant in the room, a big elephant in the room, because you'll you'll hear some preachers will use this passage and they will preach what what has been come to be described as the prosperity gospel. And so the big elephant in the room could be, is the prosperity gospel right? Right. If God loves a cheerful giver, will bless to a cheerful giver, and uses a cheerful giver, is the prosperity gospel right? Now, for for those who who haven't heard that phrase, prosperity gospel, this is a 
oversimplification of a complex sort of idea. But the oversimplification is that if you, if you give generously uh, uh, to, to the Lord, to the church, to, to a minister, then God will overwhelmingly and abundantly bless you materially now. So if you give lots of what you've got right now, God will bless you materially right now. That's, that's the general sort of principle of um, pro the prosperity gospel. So is it right? If God blesses a cheerful giver, is that the right sort of thing? Should we all hold to that sort of, that sort of teaching? And it's sort of quite handy that we've sent the kids out because actually there isn't necessarily just an immediate childish answer we can give to this, this question, even though I sort of wish that there was. Because actually when we look at scripture, like the, the, this, it's a complicated um, thing. When we look at the example of Job, he suffered terribly, Job. And yet the end of his suffering, because he was so faithful to the Lord, the Lord gave him double of everything he had before. So there's some sort of like material benefit there to his faith. We read here in 2 Corinthians that actually the Lord will bless people in all things in, and in every way. In every way undoubtedly has a spiritual dimension, but every way also has a material dimension as well. We think about that beautiful uh, phrase in, uh, in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Jesus Christ was rich, but for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we all may become rich. That is the language of wealth, isn't it? And I would want to argue that there's a spiritual dimension to that language, but it is the language of wealth. So should we hold to the prosperity gospel? Well, I do think, because the, aunt, because the topic's a bit more complicated, there is a material sort of like angle to it. And we can't completely shove that away. However, at the same time, we can't say satisfactory from the Bible that actually the prosperity gospel is right at all. Because there are so many overwhelming examples of people in poverty who are also blessed people. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We see that in that example of the Macedonian church. And actually, they are called extremely poor, and yet they gave, and Paul calls them blessed. He speaks of them so highly. Or think of Paul himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He talks about his own poverty. He talks about how he is, he is poor himself, and yet he is willing in his poverty and his poorness to do all that he does because through it, other people may hear of Jesus Christ. And, and, and so again, we hear the Macedonians, positive. We think of Paul, positive, both poor examples. And then we think of Jesus Christ, who started life on earth, born in, and laid in a manger because of his poverty, and his great act of sort of like, of, of triumph. He doesn't ride into Jerusalem on a war horse. He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, showing his poverty yet again. And so we come to Scripture and we see, okay, there is sort of examples that God does bless people sometimes with material things, but actually overwhelmingly, we see again and again and again that actually those who are poor are still under the blessings of God and the love of God. And so we can't ever say, yes, the prosperity gospel is right, because it denies too much of the truth of all of Scripture, even though we do want to say and we do want to hear what 2 Corinthians chapter 9 has to say, that those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. And there is a sense that God's
blessing does come to people in certain times and in certain ways and has a material dimension to it. But there's a lot more to say to that. Uh, the, uh, the American writer, Sam Storms, says the logic of the prosperity gospel fails when it comes to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The prosperity gospel says you should give in order to get, and then it stops. The Bible says you should give in order to get so that you can give it all away. Because there's a purpose to why we receive a blessing from the Lord. So that we can use it to bless others and so that they may praise the Lord Jesus Christ. What is God saying to us today in 2 Corinthians chapter 9? What is God saying to us today? Be a cheerful giver. Be a cheerful giver. Reach down to that pot, into those seeds, and throw them wide. Throw them wide. Be a cheerful giver. Because through cheerful giving, God will use it. I asked um, Lee if I could have the permission to share a, a story of his. Um, for those who, who, who don't know, tragically, uh, Lee's uh, wonderful and beautiful wife, uh, Sharon, died, uh, leaving him with uh, four, four girls. And at the time of, of her death, um, uh, Sharon was a Christian, but Lee, Lee wasn't. And uh, when I first came to Christchurch, I asked Lee how he became a Christian. And there was a long, a long list. It was a long story, many, many things he said. But one of those things really struck me. One of those things really struck me. Um, and he said it was the fact that when his wife, Sharon, died, that people in this church, this community, uh, gathered around him, supported him, uh, and one of the things in how they did that was they paid for his wife's funeral. And that really struck him. And now Lee's our verger, and a Christian, and loves the Lord Jesus Christ. God uses cheerful giving to achieve his aims and his purposes so that people might praise God. So be a cheerful giver. Corrie ten Boom, the, uh, the, the Christian rescuer of um, Jews from the Nazis, she, um, she says, the measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. The measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. We're now going to think a little bit more and hear a little bit more about the story of uh, one Christchurch Sig Cup member's uh, uh, path to cheerful giving. So can I please invite the um, tech team to, uh, to place our, uh, the video upon the screen. This might just take, a, take us one moment. This is a high-quality and beautiful video um, of one of, our, one of our own and their story being a cheerful giver. Let's sit back and enjoy.
I'm a doctor. In truth, I never had that much interest in medicine. I had the grades, and mum and dad really encouraged me to go for it. And everyone says, don't do medicine because your parents tell you to do it. I was that person. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think my parents wanted me to have a good living so I could have a nice middle-class life and be able to buy nice things and have nice holidays and be secure and comfortable. I didn't want that. No, I've never wanted that. Around when I was about 21, or 20 maybe, then I was sort of halfway through university, and I was starting to think, what, you know, really I need to decide now, what am I gonna do with my life? I'm doing this engineering degree, but what am I gonna do? How am I gonna use this? I was thinking, well, maybe I should try and do something that isn't gonna be done if I don't do it. When I was growing up, our parents would get us together and they would read to us from the Bible and missionary stories. And these stories were just incredible adventures. Men and women would sacrifice everything, give up all their wealth, get on a boat, travel for six months, travel across the seas to share the gospel. Entire communities and peoples and nations were transformed as a result. And growing up, I just thought, I want to be like those people. Those people, they haven't just found something worth dying for. They seem to have discovered the secret of living as well, real, incredible, purposeful lives. And I thought, that's what I want. When I was 18 years old, my grand said to me, there's this Indian missionary guy speaking at our church tonight, small village church, just outside of Cambridge. Do you want to come along? And I said, well, I've got nothing better to do tonight, okay. So I get there, go into this tiny little church, but there he was, telling all these stories of what the missionaries in India were getting up to, how they were risking their lives, traveling, facing adversity, but winning people, changing communities. And I said, this sounds like the stories I had read to me growing up. I thought people like these didn't exist anymore. I thought they were locked away a hundred years ago. So when Dad said, look, does anyone want to come and see this? I said, boy, are you kidding me? I've spent my whole life wanting to meet people like these and learn from them. Six months later, I got on a plane and I traveled to India. I met with Das and we traveled around the mission fields. One day, a pastor walked into our village and he came and knocked at my door. And I was sick that day. My sister is struggling to breathe. This man of God, give it gospel, says Jesus is the healer. Mama opened the door, took the leaflet and said, Jesus is the healer? No way. Why my child, children are like this? Why all this problem here? Is it really true? He said, yes, it is. It is true. And she said, I don't know. Then you show me, is it true? So he said, can I come in? She said, yes. So I was sick and bedridden on the floor. My sister is struggling to breathe. So he shared the gospel and asked, can I pray for them? 
said, oh, of course. He prayed. My sister got instant healing. And I was healed. And then I realized I need this Jesus. I went to Bangalore to do my studies. We, the students of the college, went to north part of the country. And it's amazed me to see thousands and thousands of village do not know Christ. Pepsi is there. Coca-Cola reached. No Jesus. We visited a village. And the missionary he painted such a bleak story about them. He said, look, no one will employ these tribal people because they're so reviled. So the men rely on begging. The women rely on prostitution. This is all that they have. You know, it sounded pretty bleak. They're the people whom Hinduism left behind. They worship spirits. You know, it's a real primitive level. And to the rest of Indian people, you know, they are, they are worse than the bottom rung of the caste system. They're worse than the untouchables because they're not even within that system. I remember going to see this village and it was just not at all what was described. I said to this Indian missionary, are these the same people? And most of the village surged out to meet and greet us and they were singing and they were praising. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And the, the missionary explained to us, he said, well, we came and we shared the gospel with them and they were just so excited to hear it. They came to faith really fast. Not just that, we taught them to start washing themselves, we helped them buy some new clothes, taught them some basic things. Suddenly these people went for work and they got jobs because the surrounding people didn't realize they were from that same tribe, they were unrecognizable. So we saw these people had come to know Jesus but their whole um, community and social situation had been transformed as well. Five years previously, the gospel had never come to this place. And there I was worshiping with the church there. And I just thought, this is history in the making. The sociologists may say this is nothing, this is a tiny church in a tiny village in the middle of nowhere, but if that place has never had the gospel come to it, and now there's a church there, that's history in the making. So I said to myself, right, scrap all what my plans were because they're, they're rubbish. I wanna be a part of what's going on here. And I said, look, that's, this is amazing. How can I help? So Das said, well, the tragic thing is that a lot of these people aren't getting into action because their own churches are too poor to send them. And I said, what? You mean this is the coolest thing I've ever seen and it's not happening because of a shortage of money? I mean, money is the one thing our church really does have. That's the one thing I can easily give. This isn't happening for money. So I said, yeah. Das, how much do these guys need? He said, well, well in your terms, about 50 pounds a month. 50 pounds a month, I mean, that's nothing. I could go out with a friend, both get a meal, both get a couple of drinks, that's 50 pounds right there. Or new pair of shoes, 50 pounds, or fancy phone contract, 50 pounds. The thought that someone isn't being sent to an unreached village to plant a church for that much money, that's madness, that's crazy. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. At that point in time, I just said, right, let's try and ramp up this level of sacrificial living because every 10 pounds I can save is a fifth of uh, a missionary's monthly support in India. That's amazing.
I went to Cardiff. I found the, the cheapest halls of residence I could live in. I bought all the cheapest food I could. I refused to buy any new clothes whatsoever. I mean, I just went completely overboard, completely over the top. Um, it was okay for my first year of uni because my clothes were there and they started to last for a year. But my second year, it was a disaster. I had these shoes which were falling apart. They had a big hole in the bottom, so I got some duct tape and I just wrapped it round and round, taped them up. Um, to be honest, that worked quite well, so long as it was dry. But unfortunately, I was in Cardiff, I was in Wales, and it rains a lot. And every time it was wet, the moisture would just seep up through this hole and percolate up into, the, into my feet. I had such wet feet, it was, a, it was a nightmare. I was lucky I didn't get a trench foot or something. <laughs> I wanted to go and be a missionary myself, but actually what the unreached need is my financial empowerment to support indigenous workers. India motivates my work as a doctor. The other day, um, I was offered to do a um, shift, and they said, yeah, we can pay you 50 pounds an hour. I said, well, that means if, if I do 12 hours, that's 600 pounds. In a night, I've just paid for a missionary for a year. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. The need in the country is so great. The answer is send missionaries. But the problem is we don't have missionaries to go. Solution is to train young people, place them into those mission fields so that gospel will be preached, churches will be established. That made me to think about starting this training center. We went to the training center and what we realized was that all the lads at the training center they were from the newly planted churches and the previously unreached villages. And this is when God really started to speak to us because we said, this is a model which can replicate, it can scale. If you can send someone to where the gospel's never been and not just plant a church, but raise up new leaders, you can multiply, you can be unstoppable. That was when God spoke to us and we had the vision for 500,000 churches. That was the goal. We don't think anyone should be without access to the gospel and have access to the gospel, they need to have access to the church. So that's our vision, 500,000 churches, a church in every village in India. Partnering with my brother in this mission has just been such an amazing thing. We're fighting for something together uh, and he's just been the, the greatest blessing in that. He was talking about these guys in India and about the stuff that's going on and he's, you know, I'm a business guy, I like numbers, and he was talking to me about numbers. And I started saying, that's really amazing. And after a while, I fell into this idea um, that maybe one of the big gifts that I've been given, which most people don't like to talk about, this is Britain, we'd hate to talk about money. Maybe one of the big gifts I was given was access to wealth. And then the idea was simple, it was just earn money, give it away, don't keep it. And a lot of people thought this was a crazy idea. You know, I thought it was a good thing for a long time. And then I started helping out. That was when I sort of started getting passionate about it and saying, well, actually, this is really important. Um, and this is, this is something that, you know, we should be doing. Actually, we shouldn't just be saying, let someone else do it. It turns out that my skills as an entrepreneur are, um, are very useful for advancing the kingdom.
the mission was having a very slow progress. And at this stage, we have missionaries working in 600 plus villages. And as a mission, we baptized more than 6,000 people. And more than 13,000 people are coming to these churches. I strongly believe our partnership together is broadening the horizons. Now we look back and say, thank you, Jesus, for making them come here to India. It's not just about the giving. Yes, the giving is so important, and I think that is the crucial need, but... Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry about the buffering. I feel like we've had a lot of it. Um, Even more. I'll, um, I'll share that. I'll share the rest of that video with the team later. Uh, I'd like to invite Eddie um, up, to, up to the front. Now, I realize some of us probably won't know Eddie because he comes in the evening service. I have, uh, I have the honor of living with Eddie. <laughs> um, he's my housemate, and we were friends in uni days. I also actually remember, you come and use this mic, Ed. I remember when, um, when Ed did have those shoes, which were, co which were covered in gaffer tape. <laughs> and, uh, and we all thought you were absolutely crazy. <laughs> and yet you still did it. Um, sadly, me and Ed have been very busy this week. And so we haven't even decided what my questions are going to be. <laughs> Ed was at a preaching conference and I've been teaching in South End. Um, so I'm only just going to ask you two, two questions, Eddie. As you look back uh, over your time since the Lord brought this great need in India into your, into your heart, and you and your brother set up this, uh, this organization, 500K, um, are there anything... anything oh. Are there... I was going to ask you, are there any things you think the Lord's really been teaching you uh, during these times mm. that you decide to become a cheerful giver mm. in this way? And then afterwards, maybe it'd be great to hear how we as a church can be praying mm. for 500, uh, 500k. Sure. Well, uh, thank you, Adam. Uh, certainly it was uh, surprised on me this morning, <laughs> but it is a, a joy and a pleasure to get to share uh, briefly anyway. That one thing which I think God's been teaching me, I would say that that a life following Jesus can be a life of extraordinary adventure. A life following Jesus can be a life of extraordinary adventure. That was something I was just beginning to learn growing up, following him. It's something I learned a whole lot more going to India and encountering what he was doing on the front lines there. And it's something God has only been reinforcing more and more since then. And actually, I would say that giving has been an absolutely crucial part of that. Why is it? Why is that? I think really, it has its origins in what Jesus teaches when he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if I've learned one thing, it's that the more time I spend with my heart on this world, caring about this world, the things of this life, all the worries and ambitions and desires, 
the more I find life miserable, the more I find myself sinking down into the bog of worries and boredom and anxiety and just uh, lifelessness. But the more that my heart is in heaven with the Lord, the more I encounter that joy, that life fullness, that adventure. And I was just thinking as I was walking up here this morning, one of the, the passages Adam referenced earlier in 2 Corinthians 6, you see Paul, Paul, one of the greatest action heroes of the ancient world, of the Roman Empire, he has this list of the crazy adventures that God has brought him on. And one of those details is him saying that him and the apostles are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, and having nothing, yet possessing everything. What a life of adventure. That is what God calls us to. I firmly believe that all of us here, whoever you are, whether you've yet to meet with Jesus for the first time or you've been walking with him for 60 years, he has something more in store for you. He has the next step in store for you. The next phase of the adventure is there. And he's calling for you to move forward and take that step. And I passionately believe that giving is an incredibly exciting part of that. It's something all of us can do, something all of us can lean more into. I'd even go so far as to say that it is the superpower of us living here in London in 2023. Paul lived an incredibly radical life. Those guys in India who I've had the pleasure of supporting are leading incredibly radical lives. I'm leaving, leading a, a somewhat radical life trying to help out those people. Truth is, God is calling us all to different levels. But all of us, wherever we are, have another step that we can take. And if I can say one thing, or one thing that I've learned, is that anything that I've given, anything I've given up, any experience that I've foregone through giving, I've never, ever regretted that. Never, ever regretted that. And that's been the experience of virtually everyone I know as well. So God is there. He's got the adventure in store, and giving is a part of it. And I truly believe the more we lean into that, the more we will have our treasure in, heart with the, our treasure in heaven with the Lord and our heart with him there as well. What was your other question? Um, my other question is particularly about, so, uh, Eddie, you, many, how many years ago did you set up 500k? Eight. eight years ago. So eight years ago, Eddie set up 500k, um, and now, uh, he, yeah, he runs, the, runs it here. Uh, can you just tell us, give us some things we can pray for? Um, uh, your prayers would be wonderful. This year, our dream, if God enables us, is to send out 350 more missionaries in India, 350 more Indian church planters out into unreached communities. 
that is a part of the dream. The, the, other, the other part is for this year uh, to break through the, the 5,000 village barrier. We're currently operating in about 3,500 villages. That's where people are hearing the gospel and they're coming to pray and to worship the Lord. We don't know if it's possible, but the prayer is that 2023 be the year we break through that 5,000 village barrier, which is that, that 1% of the 500,000 churches need. So I'd love your prayer for us to, to get these new missionaries out into action, to get the gospel out into those villages, and, uh, and for our team as well. Um, God's been doing an awesome work building up people around us to make it happen, especially our, our team in India, but in the UK as well. But uh, a lot more work is required. So your prayers for God to be bringing the, the right people alongside uh, to lead this organization would be appreciated. Amazing. Thank you. Uh, let, me, let me pray for, for Eddie and 500K now. Oh, dearest God, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, do just want to thank you personally for Eddie here. Thank you for all those years ago uh, when you met that Indian missionary and was inspired by that gospel need. Thank you, Father God, for how that has, uh, has led to become this organization of 500K and how already they have supported many hundreds of missionaries in India. We pray, Father God, for these requests that these hundreds more missionaries might be sent out this year, that the money might be raised, that the individuals might be trained. We pray, Father God, that that 5,000 barrier might be reached. Actually, it might be exceeded. We pray, Father God, will you please pour your blessings and your mercy upon India. We pray, Father, may there be a village which may every church, may every village have a church Father God, we pray may the light of the gospel penetrate every single village so that lives may be transformed and so that people might know you and love you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.